Hi guys, in this week's Money and Investing podcast, we're gonna look at the subject of dividends. We're gonna carve up and look at who they're probably best suited to and who they're not. The pluses, the tax advantages, and of course the disadvantages. We'll also look at where else you can go to the marketplace to get far more regular cash flow. Instead of getting an income twice a year, how about something every single month? Enjoy the broadcast, we'll look forward to seeing you on the show. Hi guys, welcome to the Money Investing Podcast with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and of course, my offsider, Mr. Mitchell Orenshaw. Always a pleasure to be here, Mr. Baxter. How are you? Very well. Caught off guard. Didn't even get a chance to put I a know, shirt I've on today. I know. I this on you at the last second. I apologize, but I couldn't go a Friday without a podcast. So here we are today. Good. Oh, so what have you got for us today, my friend? We've got a really good, a good one today. Um, a bit of a crowd favorite, and that is dividends. Mm. What they are, how they're paid, how much you can expect to earn, and maybe some other alternatives out there as well. Very good. Well, that's going to be fun, isn't it? Hey? Absolutely. So dividends, the great Australian investment strategy. Well, I mean, you think about it, right? I mean, when we think dividends, we think places like Telstra, uh, AMP, so those high yielding dividend, mm. and those ones that often will pay special dividends, which I know we'll touch on later on. Indeed. Okay, I suppose a good place to start for our listeners and viewers would be what exactly is a dividend. Um, if you think about cash at the bank, um, that's your asset, and then the interest you earn from it is obviously the income flow, the reward, if you will, for keeping your cash at the bank. Um, when it comes to investing in shares, it kind of works in the same way for a lot of companies. So if you're a shareholder, the company uh, will reward you for your loyalty uh, by paying you, I suppose, your snip of the profit, so to speak, and that typically comes in the form uh, of what we now know to be dividends. Uh, so it's a cash payment. Um, you can take them in a few different ways. You can either take it as cash, which provides great income, a lot of retirees, and we'll talk a bit about super, I'm sure, as we go through this. Um, love dividends because of the income flow that come from it. Absolutely. And how often, and just a general, a general mm. question, how often are our Australian companies paying dividends? Yeah, typically twice a year. They're usually twice on a six-monthly cycle over here. Um, an alternate way of taking a dividend is a dividend reinvestment plan where instead of taking the cash, you get the equivalent in shares. And um, what that can allow you to do, perhaps if you're in a position where your tax might be a little bit higher or... Um, you're looking to accumulate more shares rather than rely on the income from them, gives you the ability to accumulate more shares over time instead. So they're the typical ways uh, the dividends are paid out to their investors. Wow. Mm. Okay. And, and have you specifically been a dividend investor at all? Yeah, no, not really. No, it's not my thing. Uh, I'm obviously very across it. And, and there are various reasons. Dividends are absolutely fantastic investment strategies for some people. And they're not somewhere that you're going to go play uh, for others. So I suppose we should explore you know, the differences and who, who who typically should be attracted to them. Absolutely. So if you're an investor that's looking for income, and I'm not an income investor, I don't need it. Uh, I'm, I'm continuing to work on other things, growing asset bases rather than the income flow from them. Um, so if you're in a position perhaps where you're retired or, or within super, uh, dividends, especially in Australia, are fantastic uh, for a number of reasons. Not only do you get paid them, um, but in a large number of instances, the tax is already paid on them as well. So it can effectively be tax-free income, depending on your entity, or even um, tax positive for you, where the company is paid the corporate tax rate, 30% on the dividend flow. But if your marginal tax rate is lower, so for example, in superannuation, which is currently 15%, the income tax has been paid too much on so the dividend flow. So you get a credit. And wow. it's called what we call in Australia a franking credit. Yes. And they can actually add up and that can be an extraordinarily tax efficient strategy. So mm -hmm. very, very important uh, to embrace them, particularly in that self-managed super space. Okay. So what if your marginal tax rate is above? Let's say you're a high income earner mm. and it's 45%. Yeah. Does that mean you're actually going to owe money after that? You'll still pay a little bit, but it'll be the difference between the 30% that's paid 
uh, and the difference between your marginal tax rate. So if you're at 45 and the tax has been paid at 30, you've got a further 15% mm. income tax to top off on that. Uh, but nonetheless, it's still a pretty tax effective investment. And is that what we call an imputation credit? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Frank franking credits or imputation credits. And, and, okay. and they're uniquely Australian. Wow. Um, if we look at this across the pond, and you know we invest a lot in the US as well, um, Two things. Number one, US companies typically don't pay dividends or certainly not at the level that they're paid here in Australia. Instead, they choose to retain that money and grow the business. And, uh, and that's very much the philosophy for a lot of American companies. Um, so, so that's a, a, a major shift. The yield is lower and obviously there's no franking credit on, on the income that you earn from that. But over here in Australia, um, looking for those fully frank type businesses can be can be very, very powerful part of, of getting an augmented return, particularly after tax. Great strategy. Strategy. Absolutely. Mm. And what typically, uh, I mean, if you're a dividend investor, what would you typically be looking for? I mean, mm. we know they pay sort of roughly every six months. Mm. We're looking at yields. So mm. what kind of yields would we expect for a typical dividend investor? That's the interesting one. And that's a, a bugbear for a lot of investors right now because the yield uh, that people are receiving uh, through through their shares is typically been dropping. Um, what we've seen with interest rates being cut, the risk-free rate of return, the cash rate, 0.75% currently, uh, has been gradually moving down. And unfortunately, when the risk-free rate moves down, just like a rising tide lifts all ships, a uh, sinking tide drops all ships, and as such, uh, because that risk-free rate is lower, so too has been the yield that companies have been paying out to their investors. And this has uh, probably caused a bit of a cash flow crunch for a lot of self-funded retirees, if you're, if you're living off your dividend flow, for example, uh, which is not fun. Um, but also, um, a lot of companies are realizing, and we'll talk specifically on a few of these in just a few moments, um, that they probably should be retaining a little bit more to reinvest in their mm. business. Um, Telstra, for example, currently on a yield of about 2.8%. Um, if we look at CBA, it's on about 5, 5.5% because its share price has had such a dramatic fall. Yep. The dollars they've paid out relative to the share price brings that yield up just a touch. So, yeah, ANZ uh, uh, much the same in that sort of five space. So, um, they've been higher yielders. If you look elsewhere in the marketplace, it's say something like Woolworths around about three and a half percent. So, you know, Telstra at the lower end, uh, banks at the higher end, and, and Woolworths somewhere in the middle. And mm -hmm. I'd work on the basis of somewhere between three and four and a half percent is a very realistic expectation. Okay. Now, you compare that to cash at the bank. It's wow. a pretty decent return. It's over triple or double to triple what you'd get on cash at the bank. So you can kind of see uh, why it's such an important part of return enhancement for retirees. Absolutely. And I know, you know, we briefly touched over this in one of our previous podcasts mm. in the blue chips. Mm. Um, and, and we kind of mentioned, you know, the notion that companies were almost focusing so hard on their dividend plays, mm. it was at the expense of their retained earnings. Mm. Is that still the case? Or do you think it's heading in a different direction? Mm. I think that's definitely been the case. And, and that's We've already talked of Telstra. That's a very good example where my view would be that they'd probably be better off retaining more of that income uh, to, to, to invest in future-proofing that business. It's an archaic business. Um, <laughs> and, and, and at some point in time, there will be a demise of the copper network. Uh, and so that ability to provision and grow out is important, provided, of course, you're growing out in the right areas. Otherwise, you're just burning your capital up. So it is important, I think, for, for that to happen. Another good example would be someone like BHP, where uh, under Don Argus, they, they, they had a progressive dividend plan where every year they sought to pay a higher percentage dividend to their, their shareholders. Um, but when times got a little bit tougher, um, they turned that plan off. And, and there was an initial revolt by shareholders going, look, you know, we've invested 
because we're expecting you to continue to grow dividends. But the board's stance on it was really quite robust and very well communicated in that they said, no, it's it's more important for us to preserve the growth within the business and deploy that funding elsewhere. And so they did turn that off. And look, BHP's fared rather well on the back of it. And, and, and look, miners typically aren't particularly uh, dividend plays at the best of times. But if you compare that to a US stock, take Disney, for example, the yield on Disney is about 1.2% right now. So wow. it's significantly lower. Um, and that reflects, as I mentioned previously, you know, US stocks tend to have a lower level of dividends. So mm. yeah, if you're listening or watching this broadcast, if you're a dividend investor, the Aussie market is the place to play, no question about that. Um, not only because the actual yields are higher, but also that tax benefit from it. And seeking out those companies that offer either a partially or fully frank dividend can make quite a difference if you've got yourself structured in the right way. Absolutely. And just a quick question, mm. how often do the US stocks pay their dividends? Is it the same every mm. six months? Typically, US stocks report quarterly, so they mm. typically do a distribution on a quarterly basis. So it's, it's similar but different, I guess. Mm -hmm. you know, Americans and English people or Australians are very similar, but they're very different and, and stocks are just the same. So yeah, that's a little of the, the rationale for holding dividends and, and the circumstance, as I say, if you're a superannuation or some of these investments with a corporate trust type structure that can work out very tax effective outside of that, it is still tax effective, but not quite the same. But that's only one strand of the game. Um, you know, I think there are also some drawbacks to holding uh, stocks for dividend purposes too. And, and I guess the purpose of these conversations is to show both sides of the ledger. And part of the reason why I, I'm not typically a dividend investor is that when a company uh, pays its dividend, let's say its share price was at $2 and it's paid out a 20 cent dividend, that's pretty high yield, but just to keep it, that's easy. Um, the $0.20 cents has gone per share gone from being in the company's bank account to its investors. In other Absolutely. words, it's moved off its balance sheet. To cash outflow. Mm. And, and as a result, the share price most likely will reflect that. So you'll see a 20 cent or so drop in the share price. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a lot of different ways of looking at this. If you've had the income and you're happy to hold the asset and wait for it to recover, that's one thing. But I really don't like holding assets that have drops, and especially when you know those drops are very, very likely to happen. There are a few exceptions to that, of course. Um, Sometimes a company will pay its dividend and its share price doesn't drop. Uh, and the term in the industry, it held its dividend, is how that's often explained. And in my experience, that's actually a sign of a very, very strong company if it's paid out a chunk of cash, but the share price hasn't dropped by as much as it's paid out. Um, in our example before, if it paid out a 20 cent dividend but only dropped by, say, 5 cents, that tells you there's an enormous amount of momentum and strength within that business that it hasn't dropped by. And they're the sorts of things that can really show, show a very, very robust type company. So what's actually going on behind the scenes if that's occurring? I mean, mm. let's say there's a slight drop or even no drop, as you mm. said, and it held its dividend. What's going on to actually cause yeah, that? I think it shows it's not so much the mechanics within the business, but it's the investor sentiment. Remember, mm -hmm. the share price has got nothing to do with the business. Absolutely. It's got everything to do with the supply and demand for the shares and the price it's set. Um, so there's a, obviously a, a, a strong demand for shares in that particular company. So the way the whole process works, there's the dividend date, which is when it goes ex-dividend. Uh, and that is a date that you must, own. in fact, you need to own the shares on the day before in order so if it's paying its dividend on Wednesday, you'll need to own the shares by Tuesday in order to qualify for that. Uh, there's also a period, it's called the 45-day rule. It's actually the 47-day rule because it's you've got to hold a stock for 45 days after uh, to, 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 to benefit from um, the imputation credits and things like that on there. Uh, but it also includes the transaction the other side, so it's 47 days there. There's the dividend payment date, which is slightly separate. So if the company's gone ex-dividend today, it's paid, It's it, it, the, the money's come out of the bank account of the company, it's gone ex, the share price has dropped. You may not receive that for a period of time because the payment date might be five or six days later where it 
then gets paid out to okay. you. So there's a couple of the milestones in there. But circling back to investment strategy for a moment, one of the things that I tend to like to do rather than just invest for dividend itself, everybody knows when a company, well, maybe not everybody, but it's, it's in the public arena, when a company is about to pay its dividend, um, that date is widely known. And typically you can see a ramp up in the share price in the lead into that. Sure. Um, where people are either buying into the stock in anticipation of the dividend or they're buying into the rally, the move up in the share price prior to it. And over time, I've always been a big fan uh, of getting in early, taking that run up in the share price and exiting it before the dividend date itself. Cool. And that's exactly what we do with our dividend hunter strategy, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It's exactly based on um, that philosophy. Um, and and, and I, I think it really stacks up on a number of metrics in that, number one, there's no income tax issue per se where you've been given a dividend. Okay, you've got whatever you need to do in terms of your structure. Um, and, and anyone listening to this in Australia, you really shouldn't be paying capital gains on your stock. It should only be income. Talk to your accountant about making sure that's the case. Um, but that run up in the stock and, you know, maybe buying in two, maybe three, two and a half months ahead of its dividend and taking that sort of six, eight week run up and then exiting the position, not the day before it goes ex-dividend, but maybe a week or even 10 days beforehand, more often than not, you'll see a great run up in that stock. You've had all the joy of the gain. You haven't got to hold on to the thing after its share price has dropped and wait for it to recover, which to me as a trader makes a lot more sense. Um, I'm sure my needs will change as I switch into retirement, which hopefully isn't too far away, and, <laughs> and, uh, and enjoy income flow from my portfolio. But right now, and for many of the people listening to this, income is not the challenge, is actually getting that gain in the portfolio. Now, that, that, that whole approach behind Dividend Hunter is a very, very effective strategy. Um, I remember chatting a very, very charismatic client of ours down in Sydney, uh, Mike, and he'll know if he's listening, uh, a charming, charming guy, he's an accountant. He and I had quite a, a, an in-depth conversation about Dividend Hunter probably, I don't know, five, seven years ago as a strategy, and it's something he's used very, very well. Uh, and that's that sort of mindset of an accountant looking at something going, where can I make more? Um, and, and keep my tax under control. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so it's a very, very effective strategy, the old dividend, uh, dividend hunter, that's for sure. Have you had good results yourself in mm. the past? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it doesn't just mean you buy a stock because it's paying a dividend. There's obviously some research and work that's needed there. The company's got to have good fundamentals, the technicals need to stack up, all of the things that we look for for a, for a regular trade. Sure. But just with that additional overlay, if you will, of, okay, well, that's when it's, it's paying its dividend and let's look historically at when it's ramped how far earlier do we need to get in to get that nice, easy uh, run out of it? And you know, with, without being crude, I always think about trading for profit is like picking up a wet rag. If it's really wet, when you first pick it up, it's really easy to wring it and get all the easy water out of it. And really, if you're a trader, that's what you're looking for. The longer you go, the harder you've got to wring it to get that last few drops out. Just leave them for somebody else. You know? And if you, can, if you can take a nice, easy run out of it in advance, um, to me, that, that, that makes an awful lot of sense as a strategy. You know, you can have a sliding stop loss sticking behind it to manage the risk, all of those sorts of things uh, to mitigate it. But you know, the dividends provide, provide that catalyst. And again, you know, why invest in dividends? It's an income play. There's no question about that. The strategy I personally prefer for an income play, I don't know about the people listening to this broadcast, and you can ask yourself this question, but you know, most people get bills more than twice a year. Absolutely. And so if a company is paying a, a dividend twice a year, 
what do you do in the interceding months where there's no cash flow? So for me personally, I much prefer the options market and very specifically the strategy we've developed called cash flow on demand because that enables me to get paid a dividend every single month, wow. one and a half, two and a half percent a month, every single month as opposed to having to wait twice a year for when the company decides to pay it. Now, that's not a dividend we receive every month, it's actually options premium. Slightly different strategy, and I'm sure we'll get to this uh, in subsequent podcasts. But that need for cash flow for many people is far more regular than just simply twice a year. And that is one of the limitations, I think, of, of investing for dividend. So who would you recommend that would undertake a play like that? We've, you know, we've sort of segregated our dividend investors, maybe mm. retirees, mm. on the options market with cash flow and demand. What's that kind of demographic look like? I'd say anybody that's looking for cash flow, to be honest with you. I mean, Makes it nice and if, easy. If, if, you, if you're not sure if that's you, it's a real acid test other than right now, when will be a good time to have more income? Really good question. And if the answer to that is, well, it is right now, because really that's the only answer you can have to that, then a strategy like cash flow on demand gives you that smooth uh, transition. And then you can customize it up or down, just like you can with dividends where you're picking a stock that may be a little bit more racy but perhaps offers a higher level of yield, you can dial that strategy up or down. I mean, it's not out of the question to be pulling 4 or 5% a month sure. income with cash on demand, but you're dealing with something that's obviously a little bit more volatile. That meat and potatoes space, 1.5%, is, is somewhere that sits quite well, particularly with people that maybe are a little less risk averse, maybe in retirement phase where they don't want to risk the farm, they just want that nice regular cash flow. Sure. And you've been doing this for what, 27 years? Mm. And it's worked for you so far? Yeah, it's working pretty well. Maybe working it's beginner's pretty... luck, I don't know. <laughs> I think past 27 mm. years, I think you got past the honeymoon stage. I'd say so. I'd say so. But the key thing with that, of course, it is that it's duplicable because we've taught other people to do that. So it's not what I do, it's what we've been able to get other people sure. to do. Sure. I mean, we've met tens of thousands of people, right? And we've helped yeah. so many along the way as well. Absolutely. So. Where else can you go for yield? So if you're a dividend investor, you can pick your stocks. There's a tax benefit that we've talked about. We've given an idea of what sort of range, you know, three, anywhere between say 2.7 and about you know, five, five and a half percent in the blue chip space, um, but it's twice a year. We've talked about an alternate that's every month, which to my mind is probably more attractive. We've also talked about you can invest for dividend, but the shares that you hold are going to drop in value, uh, in which case you've got to ride out that capital loss for a period of time. Sure. Uh, having the enjoyment of the income is one thing, but you've kind of robbed Peter to pay Paul in doing that. Um, through dividend hunter type strategies, um, you're able to just to take that low-lying fruit, the water in the, in, in the rag, get that nice easy money and away you go. The alternates outside of that, and this is where it's got very, very tough in the current low interest rate environment, particularly for retirees. And I know we're in podcast format, which you'd often think that you know you're not really going to be speaking to retirees, and that's actually such a massive area for people to to, to get their information of all age groups now. Um, that challenge of finding higher return is very, very real. And where else can you go? And the alternate to holding shares would be into the bond market. And I'm sure that'll be a subject for another, another podcast or sure. broadcast at some point in time. If you look at the relative risks, uh, bonds slightly higher risk than, than shares. Uh, in the corporate bond space at least, um, your yields typically run about two and a half to about three and a half percent currently at least higher than what the dividend yield is. So if you've got a stock that's yielding five percent dividend yield, you're probably going to get about seven percent in a corporate bond. Okay. Roughly, just to give you a, a sort of proxy. And just for the viewers out mm. there, can we describe what actually is a bond? Because I'm sure there's mm. probably people listening that might yeah. not have heard that term before. That's effectively where you've bought a, a, a piece of paper 
which at its maturity, um, so let's say it's a five-year bond, in five years' time, you'll get the face value of what you paid for it. So if you paid $1,000 for that piece of paper, in five years' time, you're going to get your $1,000 back. Doesn't sound that compelling so far. No. But throughout its lifetime, it will be paying a regular income, uh, maybe annually or biannually, um, in which case you're going to have the ability to pull out maybe 5 6% per year, okay. but you get your capital back at the end. So it's almost like loaning money to a corporation. Effectively, that's exactly what you're doing. They're raising capital, perhaps to invest in their own infrastructure, in the case of BHP in a new mine, um, and, and, and you've given that money to them to work, they will pay it back in full at the end. It's, it's, it's backed by the company. I'd say guaranteed, but I don't know what guaranteed means in today's <laughs> world because if the company doesn't exist anymore, um, then you aren't going to get your money back. And when you look at that in the bond market, and as I say, we'll talk more about bonds another time, um, but if something is a little bit more risky, the yield is always higher to compensate. Of course. So we're seeing you know, dividends... <laughs> It's not the place it probably was just because the percentages are a touch lower than where they used to be. And, sure. and also companies are going through an earnings crisis now uh, where maybe their earnings are being squeezed a little bit. And, and so that desire to spend that money on their shareholders to thank them for holding the shares uh, via a dividend, is that, that agenda is probably moving a little too. So I think you know if you're someone that's in retirement space particularly or income space, dividends have been a fantastic strategy where their future sit um, in terms of income flow, I think there are better places that give you more control. Um, and I also think the traditional landscape of dividends, we are going to see them ease back a little as companies recognize how important it is to keep that retained earnings in the business to grow it, which is very much the American model. Okay. So, you know, from an, an investing standpoint of view, let's say you're, you know, you're brand new to the investing mm. game. Where would you be looking to go? Let's say if it's for income specifically, where would you be looking? Personally speaking, it would be cash on demand because I like the idea of that that monthly regular income and the control of what I'm doing. Absolutely. As opposed to having to hold shares, you know, for the long term. Um, that's where I would start. But that does require a skill set and it does require a little bit more activity than someone that's literally buying shares and putting them in the bottom drawer. But as we all know, if you add in some work to something and it's the right kind of work, you can always enhance the return you're getting out of it as opposed to that passive approach, I'll leave it there and you may get a very pleasant surprise when you open that bottom drawer or you might get quite a nasty one, sure. but it's, it, it's quite a detached and, uh, and hands-off type strategy. So it's horses for courses, what works. I guess the key thing for us to make sure our, our listeners, our following, our tribe are across is that it's another strand to the bow and it certainly plays its role. And, and if we were to sort of put a ribbon around it and talk about the key elements that are very, very attractive, one is the tax effectiveness of it and it is a brilliant, brilliant strategy from a tax point of view. So if you're in super, it's a very, very handy place to be. Absolutely. And even if you're a higher income earner, the fact that the tax is paid uh, at least to the 30% level if it's a fully frank dividend is good news. But there are better ways. Of course. And those better ways, to my mind, would be either being more active and, and taking that dividend hunting strategy where you take the wet water out of the cloth and take that nice run up and get the good gain. And after it's paid its dividend, it's dropped, time to get in again and yeah. ride the wave up again. Um, and over time, that will more likely outperform. Second to that would be that regular cash flow, which we talk about with, with cash flow on demand and the covered call strategy, which is month in, month out, that ability to raise you know, a yield of one and a half, two and a half, three percent for investors. So there are alternates out there. One's very passive, one's a little bit more active. One's very tax effective, one isn't. One gives more control, one has less than control, and it's the uh, 
it's the lucky you know, pick and mix of life as to choosing what strategy works for you. But if you know what dividends are now and how they work, you can decide whether or not they're something that plays a role in your investing. Absolutely. And I think mm. when you simplify it down like that and you actually look at each type of investment mm. you know, on its own, positives and negatives, it makes it really clear on what your needs are and what you should be doing. Mm. But as you said, you know, you've got to have more strings to your bow. 100%. AB, look, we're coming to an end of the podcast. So I do thank you for your time. It's been great to get your insight on dividends. Might just go and buy a few more shares now with Dickie too. Absolutely. Pleasure, Mitch. Thanks very much. Thanks, man. If you like this podcast and its content, please make sure you provide a review and a rating. It's always great to get the message out there further and your help, support and following is truly appreciated. Thanks for taking the time to do that.